Hello listeners everywhere. Welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities, a voyage into the vault of wonders on the wireless. In a moment, Simon Exton and Ken Moss will be here to speak to you. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Archive of Audio Antiquities. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this time we're listening to the first series of the Radio 4 comedy, Night Terrace. Simon, do you want to give us a pricey? Night Terrace is an interesting little Australian radio show. It's written by one of the writers of... Outland, which is an absolutely hilarious, geeky TV series from Australia that we covered in our sister podcast, The Exton Moss Experiment. And in this, it's very clearly a very loving pastiche of early Doctor Who, in that it's all about a fairly curmudgeonly scientist who has a time-travelling house. And she, in her first episode, picks up a fellow who's going from door to door trying to sell new energy suppliers to people. He gets caught there when the house takes off first time. So there's a whole lot of her not really wanting to talk to him, but at the same time, him really being quite unused to whatever's going on. And like with the early William Hartnell Doctor Who's, she's kind of pretending that she doesn't really want him along. But actually, when there's the opportunity to let him go and when there's the opportunity to leave him somewhere, she doesn't and she goes back and saves him. So there's a lot of friendship that develops between the two of them. The third regular is, in this first series, quite a mysterious character who just isn't travelling with the house and will just appear in various guises, in various bits of the historical periods, they end up both past and future. The lead characters, or the regular characters, are Anastasia Black, who is the scientist who owns the house and does all the clever science I know what's going on bits, even when she doesn't actually know what's going on. And she's played by one of the regulars from Neighbours. Now, I don't actually watch Neighbours, and I haven't done for years and years and years, so I don't really know quite who that is and what it means. She has been in a long time. She's one of the Kennedys. Now, bear in mind, I haven't watched Neighbours since the 80s, and she was in it then. I think she's still in it. Oh, yes, because there was an, uh, an interview they did with her saying that it's just been 25 years since they'd been in there. It doesn't really mean a massive amount to me, to be perfectly honest, other than the fact that she puts in a cracking good performance oh, yeah. in this. And she just has that Hartnell level of who are you and why are you invading my space <laughs> alongside real concern for the people who are travelling with her. I think that she was perfect casting because I've never seen her in anything else. But The Strong Will and Scientist, I thought that was great. Great piece of casting. I loved listening to her all the way through. The second regular is Eddie, who's the energy salesman that she picks up on her her first trip in the, the house. And while she's doing the, the whole, I know exactly what's going on, it's fairly obvious that after a couple of episodes, she's working out how this whole thing works as well. And she's obviously a lot more experienced. She's worked for a government department investigating the paranormal, which I think is only ever called the department, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, and she's retired and she's retired to live in this house. She keeps going on about how she doesn't like being caught up in all these adventures and she wants time to herself and there's all the things that she wants to do until she actually gets the time to sit down. And there's one of the episodes where she has time to sit down and read a book and 
relax and she lasts about three pages before she gets bored and wants to go off on an adventure. So she kind of gets to the point where she realises she's not actually even kidding herself with wanting to settle down and she she goes and sort of jumps both feet into the adventuring. Yeah, and they find that completely by accident. It's something stupid like turning the tap on makes the house move, but it's not consistently. They've no idea how it's happened. They've no idea how they've ended up, where and when they've ended up. Yeah, and for every bit of intelligent deduction that she comes out with, there's a a random comment from Eddie that will save the day as well. So they're, they're fairly well matched. And Sue, the mysterious character who just crops up everywhere, tends to to drop very cryptic crossword type clues that only actually make sense after they've sorted things out for themselves. And they do, they do actually get to say to her at one point, what, what the hell's the use of all this? Because we don't get to do anything. You could come out with, with all this stuff that in retrospect, it was actually really useful, but it's said in such an obscure way that we, we can't make any use of it. And there is a reason behind that. And you find out what the reason behind that is later on in the series when the, what the character of Sue is becomes more obvious. Before we actually launch into the episodes themselves, we should probably have a gin. We should. It's a bit of a shame we didn't have an Australian gin. We did have one Australian gin on one of our other podcasts, and its little bit of info bollocks was basically, this is from Australia and it's got stuff in it. Enjoy. (laughs) Which I thought was marvellous. Did we do that for Outland? I think we did. For anybody out there that's never heard of Outland, and I only found out about it in the past 12 months, it's an Australian sitcom about a, a basically a science fiction group, but primarily a Doctor Who group in Australia. And it's marvellous. It's It really should have had a wider audience and should be better known than it is. I can heartily recommend it. It's episode 25 of the Extermos experiment, we cover it. It's sublime, boys and girls. Go and look it up. I can't actually remember how I came across it in the first place. I have loved it ever since I found it. Everybody I've shown it to thinks it's wonderful. And I've never actually come across anybody other than fairly geeky people I know who live in Australia or have spent a a fair amount of time in Australia. But nobody in America, nobody in Europe seems to know anything about it, which is an awful, awful shame because it is really well worth watching. It is absolutely hilarious it's very well written well characterized well acted and playing spot the doctor who reference in it is just a joy that spot the reference geekiness is a little bit less of a joy in in this one to be perfectly honest because the references aren't as they're not quite as overt i was going to say they're, they're, they're not quite as subtle there's one thing in outland where one of the characters is walking out on her girlfriend and the items that she's picking up as she's going around the flat and walking out with it are exactly the same items that Sarah Jane Smith picks up when she walks out of the TARDIS in The Hand of Fear. But unless you know that story very well, you would never get that. Things like a grumpy scientist and an unwilling tag-along who get to be a, a functioning team and a time-travelling thing that can't control where it's going. It's not even a, a nod of the head to Doctor Who. That is a complete sales-to-win Doctor Who pastiche. So a lot of the Doctor Who references in Outland, I think, are more subtle or need more of a, a knowledge base to be able to pick up on. Oh, no, my take was uh, a bit the reverse. With Outland, it's very clearly based in Doctor Who. Even some of the lines of dialogue are lifted from episodes of Doctor Who and given to the characters. But Whereas you have to not- know those lines of di- dialogue. You would, but then if you're watching Outland and you're watching it on a Doctor Who level, you would get it straight away. Um, if you know the classic stuff. 
Yes. You have to bear in mind there are an awful lot of fans now who are very, very, very knowledgeable and passionate and I hate this expression, but as much true fans of New Who and only New Who as we are of Classic Who. And, you know, New Who's been going for over a decade now. It has people, a fan base who've grown up with it, the same way as we, we had when we were growing up with Doctor Who. Well, New Who's been running for more than half the time that Classic Who has. We're now 15 years into the run. It's a fair old time for any series yeah. nowadays. Um, but what I was going to say about Night Terraces, whereas Outland has direct lifts that are slotted in, there are no direct lifts in Night Terrace. It's just they're all comparable character scenarios, situations. So although it is yeah. arguably more a pastiche or an homage to Doctor Who, it's, it's not as overt. Oh, yeah. For, okay, fair enough. Yeah. That, that's how I saw it, is what I mean. But the way you've described it, yeah, I can see what you mean. Yeah, and we don't get to agree on everything. Sometimes you're wrong. It's just the way, <laughs> and it's just the way life right. is. <sighs> yeah, that's, what, that's when we agree. I, I am liking this pink grapefruit gin. Is it going down well? Spectacularly so. Should we actually talk about the thing that we... We should probably, yeah. The, the usual scenario for these sort of things. We will run VT, or in this case, run the SIG. Once upon a time, there was a house. Hello, would you like to save money? No. At first glance, it seemed a perfectly normal house. So why do you have a house that travels in space? I didn't know I did. I only just moved in. The real estate agent never mentioned it? Oh, you know what they like. I'm Anastasia Black, and this is Eddie Jones. So this is what you do? Weird space stuff. Aliens being shot at. What I used to do. I'm retired. There comes a time when you have to say that this is your home and you can't just sit there and watch it burn or flood or when the water and fire team up and do that sort of stabbing thing. That one's recent. We don't have a name for that yet. The house didn't just move us in space. It also moved us in time. You must stay with her. You must look after each other. Only then... Will you get home? Here we go. I didn't know you could drive a spaceship. It's surprisingly similar to a Holden Commodore, although I've never driven one of those either. Okay, well, episode one was called Moving House, and it was all about Anastasia Black's retirement, cut short when a house suddenly decides to travel through time and space. Right, and the place where it lands is... Quite interesting, actually. Um, we're recording this the day after Orphan 55 has been released. And the time travellers arrive at a luxury spa in space who are now under attack by people who are revealed at the end to be human. Guys, you got there first by quite a way. And has a couple of interesting people in the cast. Firstly, gentlemen that our fans may have heard of by the name of Nicholas Briggs, who's credited as an additional voice. But the lead guest star is Toby Truslove, who was uh, one of the lead characters in Outland. He played Max, who's one of the, the main characters. And he's also now one of the leads in the new Miss Fisher murder mysteries set in the 1960s. See, I was struck right from the word go. I really loved uh, this was recommended. We were actually contacted by uh, John Richards, the producer of Outland, once we'd done the podcast. And uh, producer and writer. Um, and writer. Mr. John and Richards. So oh, Simon sorry. Was... No, that this is a step backwards, isn't it? It was oh, Adam Richards was the one that we originally heard from. Oh, it's true. Yes, that is true. Yes. 
um, who was half of the writing team of Outland and played another one of the lead characters, the character of Fab. And then he recommended Night Terrors to us. And we eventually listened to it because we're both not massively organised in terms of timekeeping. And certainly I I fell in love with it. I think it's Mm. absolutely wonderful. It is fantastic that it's been picked up by the BBC. Even more fantastic news is that it's just had its funding for the third third series. series. And it's a crowdfunded show. It is. And I think they're due to record in February 2020. So I'm pleased for them. It's a great yeah. little series, and I'm glad that it's on Radio 4. Yeah, but, I mean, these these were originally made back in 2014. Was uh, it that long and, ago? Uh, I knew there was quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then uh, they were picked up by BBC Radio 4 Extra in 2019. There, are, yeah. I mean, there are eight episodes in the first series. The second episode, I'm just trying to think about this. The second episode is called Starship Astralis. And the tagline for this on the radio website is that uh, Anastasia Black used to fight aliens but he's now trying to retire. Starship Australis is about Anastasia and Eddie landing on a a generation ship in which all the important cultural parts of Australia have been picked up and are being transported toward a new world without having found out in the first place whether that new world wants them there. (laughs) And there's a lot of stuff that's apparently very Australian. There's also a, a lot of references to... Neighbours as well. So part of the community they land in is called Ramsey Street. And there are lots of other pointers towards neighbours. I believe, not watching neighbours, I probably missed an awful lot of references. The planet that they're aiming to move to don't actually want them there. And the way that they get around that is... Apparently, it's part of Australian law that if somebody is able to get themselves onto Australian soil, they can't be deported. Now, whether that's still true or not, um, I don't know. And there, there was a, a specific name name for that, and I can't remember what it was. It's not wet foot, dry foot, because that's the American thing, isn't it? But it, it's something similar. As a whole, I'm not that fond of self-referencing. When you get uh, an actor or an actress that's in something, and the stuff that they're most famous for is referenced, I generally speaking find it a little bit smug and it takes you out. It, it almost breaks the fourth wall. But it works for comedy. It does work for comedy and therefore it works I don't it think works it works for drama. Case. And for all the, some of the clever science fiction that's in there and the parallels back to Doctor Who, this is primarily a comedy. It um, is, which is why I thought actually it worked very well in this case. Yeah. And you listen to interviews with the writers and the, the crew and that's what they were aiming for. And... When Adam was recommending it to us, it was, this is Hartnell Doctor Who, done for the 21st century. And he's absolutely spot on. Anastasia starts off snappy and arsy, not really wanting anybody around, and then comes to value the the interloper to her house that that she's picked up. Eddie comes to value the time that he's spending with Anastasia as well. Yes, he does. The fact that he's also fiddling around with the house, trying to work it out with her. She does eventually, reluctantly, get quite excited when they work something out together and then catches herself that they've worked it out and it's not her. Again, much like the first Doctor, she puts on a front a lot of the time. Uh, The third episode was all about a 1920s murder mystery. Oh, and was marvellous. And the, the, was. the whole the whole joke about, oh, well, they, the thing you clearly haven't realised is that the detective is actually a serial killer pointing the finger of blame at, at innocent people. And they work very well on that pastiche. And also a very clever take on the whole time travel, the same characters redoing the, the same scene from a different perspective. Mm. And that works really well here. And, and you just don't see that coming. And that was very cleverly written. And to do that in an audio medium is really good. 
going some. You can do it when you've got visuals and you can hide behind props and costumes and all of that sort of thing. But all these guys had to work with was their voices and they do a brilliant job of that. The stories vary between just the outright comedic, slightly absurd situations to really quite ambitious situations. Episode four is called The Outsourcing, and it's all about Eddie getting a job on a this planet that's run by a, a huge mega corporation thing. That's putting me in mind, I think it's actually, which is the one where it's the planet's sort of inside out and separates the sun. Me and, Di- me and Dyson Sphere. The Dyson Sphere, yes. It's this huge um, concept. Oh, actually, what this reminded me of was Brazil. I've never seen it. It's not that great, to be perfectly honest. It, it's interesting to watch. There are some fun visuals. Um, I've never actually been a massive fan of Terry Gilliam, to be perfectly honest. I, th- mm. I think he, I think he was without doubt the weakest link in the Pythons. Yeah, there've been interviews with him recently where he's describing himself as being a black lesbian in transition, uh, which just makes him sound like an utter tool. I read um, that, and it was a bizarre interview even by their standards that was bizarre my take on it was that somebody passed his prime who has always ridden on the coattails of genius with python and his own films have never really lived up to the expectations that you have from somebody from the python team so you have very entertaining films by some of the other pythons and okay they're not top tier but things like clockwise Clockwise, run are a lot of fun films like fish called wanda are absolutely brilliant Terry Gilliams have always been big and dramatic looking. So you've got... Time Bandits. Uh, Time Bandits and Baron Munchausen, and they're just not very good. They look great. Um, it was more that the look of Brazil is the way the outsourcing brought up images in my head. Segwayed a little bit, which we are known for doing, but yep. my final thought on the Pythons before we move back on... I have always thought that they are better as a whole than the sum of their parts. Faulty Towers, without doubt, brilliant. And to a slightly lesser extent, ripping yarns. Everything else I can sort of take with a pinch of salt as each of them really riding on the fame of Python to sell reasonably mediocre films. Uh, Fish Called Wonder. It's all right. And Fierce Creatures, again. That's more riding on the coattails of Fish Called Fish Wonder. Fish Called Wonder. I think Fishkill Wander is a great film and I can watch it over and over again. Clockwise, Nuns on the Run, yeah, less so. They, they've all gone and, and, and done their own thing. And I'm not sure if any of them are still making films apart from Terry Gilliam, are they? I mean, Michael Palin does all his travelogues and he does them extremely well, but they're, they're not films. Michael Palin was in Wurzel Gummidge at Christmas. He was uh, the, well, the Crow Man doesn't exist in the books. He was the Green Man who is the man who builds all the scarecrows. But that's the first thing I've seen him in for a while. I caught a bit of that Wurzel Gummidge. I didn't really like it. And I know loads of people who've absolutely loved it, but... I very much liked it. It was closer to the books, and I thought it was a beautiful love letter to the English countryside. Anyway, pulling us back... Episode five of Night Terrace was Sound and Fury, which oh, is a this, theme this park. just felt Definitely really uncomfortable to start with. Because My first a, thought was Red Dwarf, actually. It did have kind of that feel about it until they came out with all the animatronic hitless. And I just thought, oh, God, where's this going to go? And actually, it ended up absolutely hilarious mm. because... Fairly predictably, the Hitlers tried to take over. So they they swap their brains with Marilyn Monroe. So you end up with Hitler's accent coming out with Marilyn Monroe quotes. And it shouldn't work, but it really does. does. 
going into that, I was just thinking, oh God, it's Hile Honey, I'm home and this is going to be uncomfortable. But it, it wasn't in the slightest. Ordinarily, this is the point where I would edit and drop in sound clips, but we don't actually have any sound clips from this series, which is a shame because it's very much worth your time. But it's on BBC Four. Go and find it. There's no episodes available at the minute. I've just had a look. Well, then go and give them some money. There is that. You could always go and pay for them. It's a a shocking concept, I know, when we can just (laughs) download whatever we want into our grubby little mitts without paying out a penny. We're too used to iPlayer in England, that's the thing. Episode Um, six was The Last Hunt. They were tracking a a beast through ancient Australia. Now, this is where a proper time travel one, where they go back in time and there's Aborigines, I think. And it's them at sort of peak Australian because I, I think if you don't know Australian history and... I don't know about you, I was never taught any Australian history apart Not from... Not at all. We, we sent them a load of convicts, aren't we wonderful? But then that's a fairly typical British centrist, old-fashioned view of the world. But we do discover in this episode, because it had been playing on my mind, it was established reasonably early on the TARDIS was indestructible in Doctor Who, more or less. I was wondering when they'd get around to the structural stability of the house, jumping all over time and space. In this episode, it falls off some sort of cliff and it's explicitly said the house couldn't survive a fall like that, but it's not there. The house has found that it's in danger and transported itself to a place of safety. So it has a HADS. It has a HADS. Hostile Action Displacement System, for those who don't know. But that's another Doctor Who concept. Is it packed full of them? It is. This one, I was, I can't remember being overly blown away by this one, and I can't but pin it down think, as to why, because it was a good I think story, it's well it's written. It's completely unfamiliar history. For, for all I know about Aboriginal history, this may as well have been on a, an alien planet. And I appreciate a lot of that is the point that they, were, ma- they mm. were making. I thought it was well done. But of all of the episodes, this is the one I was least personally engaged with because it's yeah. the one I had the least personal connection to. Uh, but then we move on to episode seven, which is Disco World. And that Disco World was wonderful. It was. Um, they end up in a, a Dyson Sphere the entirety of which is late 1970s disco clubs. And Adam Richard from Outland makes a a guest appearance as the manager of the club that they end up in. And also something more than that, because it wouldn't be Night Terrace without some weirdy science fiction stuff going on. This is the absolutely laugh out loud episode and an awful lot of it is down to the writing and it's down to the performance of Adam Richard. He is just hilarious. And his interaction with Anastasia Black is one of the funniest things I've heard in a long time. But I do have to give kudos to this one because the visuals that they conjure up with the dialogue and the soundscape were wonderful. A Dyson sphere, for those who don't know, it's basically a huge colossal sphere that surrounds a sun millions of miles out that people live on the inside surface. So it's basically an inside-out planet. And they conjured all this up. It was marvellous. It was. I think the sun was supposed to be the, the disco ball, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was fantastic. But it has been right the way across. Um, every episode has been wonderful at conjuring up Imagery. the feeling of the images of visuals. Because a lot um, of both me and you are, are very very keen on radio plays, radio dramas, radio comedies. But in a lot of cases, the actual sound design is a little bit sketchy, particularly where comedy is concerned. 
Yeah, you re- you rarely get a mental image of this quality, and it's down to the writing, it's down to the acting. A massive amount of it is down to the sound design, and they all just completely gel together. Yes, that one was the most impressive to me, purely because of the scale of the thing. I thought that was fantastic. What they'd done on audio. And it's the only one that ends on a cliffhanger, isn't it? It does, and then we move into the final episode of the series, episode 8, simply called Home, and this is where quite a few of the plot strands all come together, including the mysterious third character. Sue. And yes, you find out who Sue is, where she's from, why she's been trying to help them, but not really able to help them, how the department has been able to keep track on the house, which is actually really clever. It turns out that the department that Anastasia worked for actually built the house and they pushed her into it. So she was never actually allowed to leave. She was just turned into a lab rat, really. And what they do is they put microscopic sensors on the outside that record data from wherever they go past future or whatever. And whenever they land in the present, they drop off a number of these. So the information they contain can be collected by the department. So the department is able to keep track of their journeys, which I thought was a really clever idea. Mm. It's sort of message in a bottle stuff, given a nice twist. You find out who's been sort of pulling the strings in the background. There is a wonderful character played by Jane Badler, who was the lead villain in the 1980s V that with the hamstring. Mm. Yeah, but it was a very satisfying ending. And it makes some really interesting comments on the role of women in science, in particular the role of women in the classic era, 1950s, 1960s in science. Yeah, but it does, it wraps it up nicely. Sue is brought on board as an actual character. And it's all ready for season two. I haven't heard it yet. I've, I've not heard series two yet. Oh, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. I won't spoil anything for it. I mean, having said that... Anybody who's listened to this has just been spoiled by a whole load of... Oh, no, no. I think we've been careful. I don't think we have. I really don't think we have. I think from episode (laughs) one, we've been spoiling things. So sorry for that. But even knowing a lot of the plot, it's still very well worthwhile going back and having a listen. We can put in a spoiler warning in post. Yes, the preceding programme contains spoilers. Perhaps put it at the beginning of the episode for those without their own time machine. Before we sign off, as part of this podcast, we recommend another podcast... There is a companion podcast to Night Terrace called On the Terrace, and it looks in a little bit more detail at each episode, um, does interviews with guest stars, the actors. It's mainly done by the writers and the producers. Really well worth listening to. But there's also a second podcast I'd like to recommend, and that's called Splendid Chaps, which is an Australian podcast. And it's where all of the writers and production team behind this, behind Outland, met. And it's a very good Doctor Who podcast. Uh, It's unashamedly Doctor Who. It's not currently in production, but it's well worth going back and seeking out the previous episodes. We'll not often recommend two podcasts, but I I think it's important to put both of those in because they tie in so nicely. Splendid. Chaps. And on that note, we shall sign off. Thank you very much for listening. We can heartily, heartily recommend Night Terrace. As we say, the third series is about to go into production, so that will probably be on Radio 4 later this year. Outland, as Simon says, a TV sitcom from 2012, I think. Thing, maybe yeah. a little bit earlier, but it was... But very difficult to get hold of. Um, bloody difficult yeah. to get hold of. I think the last DVD I saw was 65 quid. Yeah, so so prime network territory, I would have thought. Well, we were on a sort of personal crusade to get this better known. I don't think we're doing too bad, considering the number of listens we're getting in Australia at the minute. On the back yeah, but of... the Australians know about it already. We need to get... Oh, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but 
we may need to go and talk to people at Doctor Who conventions. Or the people. Ian Levine. You can talk to him. You know him already. The Lev and I, yes, we're well acquainted. The Cosmic Blamange. And on that note, thank you for listening, boys and girls. We should be back in a little while with our next episode. In the meantime... Go and visit the Splendid Chaps and pay them some money for Night Terrace. It is well, well worth it. Goodbye. Take care. The Archive of Audio Antiquities featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. And the announcer was Jenny at Blue Box 99. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was by Edward White and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.